Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The ideas are trustworthy. You know, they're, they're, they're consistent, they're steady, they're trustworthy, faithful. If I were to tell you that a, a car was faithful, it starts all the time and it always goes and it gets where you're going and it gets you back home safely. You can trust it, it's faithful. There are people that are like that. They're just faithful. If they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. If something comes up, they're going to let you know, but they're faithful people. It's a character. It's a characteristic. No man is more faithful than God. He is always faithful to his children and to who he is. He's unchanging. While you can't ever expect to match his faithfulness, you should aspire to reflect it to the world around you. As Pastor Bill will challenge us in today's message, when you say something, mean it. If you make a promise, keep it, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable for you. It's a reflection of the love he gave when he sent his only son to fulfill his promise of salvation. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 7. As he begins his message, I remember that. Nehemiah, for you guys that have been following along with us, is a man that God has used in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. There was a time when the walls were torn down, they were burned, there was just rubble. And when Nehemiah heard of it, he had a real passion, a real burden for the walls to be rebuilt. And that burden led him to prayer. Prayers were answered. Provision was given. Nehemiah was sent with everything he needed. And for you guys that have followed the journey up to last week, there was a lot of warfare, a lot of battle, a lot of intense um, attack that came against Nehemiah. But last week we saw that the work was completed. The walls were finished. The walls had gone up. And so um, it was a big victory that Nehemiah is a great example to us of not quitting, uh, not being distracted from the work, not being lured away to, to do other things. And so he completed that which God had given him to do. Today we're in chapter 7, and I titled the study, I'll Remember That. And uh, let me give you where, where I'm coming from with that. When I was growing up, some of you guys may recall this, if uh, if you had asked a friend, let's say one of your friends had a snack and you wanted some, he said, hey, let me have some of those. And they were being stingy. And they said, no. You would say, I'll remember that. And the way we meant it was, I'll remember that next time I have some snacks and you want some, I'm going to say, I'll remember that. Now, that's not how God, I mean it from the Lord here. In this chapter, God is remembering the workers. He's remembering the people that put their hands to do the work. So not in a negative way. God's not looking at the mistakes that were made and saying, I'll remember that. However, God is looking at those that were participants, those that put their hands to do the work, those that invested in what mattered to God. And God is telling them, look, I remember that. And the list that we'll see here in Nehemiah 7 and all the names that are listed are also in Ezra. So God, twice in the book, God listed these names and these families and these peoples and how they participated in that which mattered to God. So I would ask you right up front, something we're going to talk about as we go through the chapter is, if God were to remember you for your participation in kingdom work, would there be, what would there be to remember? What would God say? I remembered. I remember you did that. I remember you were part of that. I remember your hand was to the plow there. We want to consider that because God is watching. God keeps great books. And it does matter to God what we do with this life, how we use it, how we spend it. 
Look at now Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. So, the walls are built, the doors are hung, the work is completed. And I want to say this, this is when a lot of people get into trouble. I think that when the battle is on, when we're in the midst of the work and there's a, a sense of our desperate need for God, that we're, we stay focused, we stay on our faces, we stay humbled and, and we're victorious. A lot of times where people get into trouble is when the pressure lets off. Uh, in more lax times. For you guys that have gone through the book of Judges, you guys remember that Judges went through this cycle that the people of Israel would, they would be doing okay with God and then the leader would die and then they would go astray and they would go after other gods and then they would come into bondage. Then they would finally cry out to God and God would send a deliverer and they would be delivered and they'd have peace. And somehow in that season of peace, like the peace wasn't good enough. And in the season of peace, they'd eventually go back to pursuing other gods and getting into sin. They would, the, the cycle would continue all over again. So I would challenge you guys to consider your life. And what do you, how do you handle times of leisure and laxness? Right now, we're quarantined because of the coronavirus. And everybody is having to stay at home and there's not a lot of going out. So, so how are you spending this quarantine time, um, are you using it well? Uh, is this time being spent on things that matter? Are you growing in the things of God? Are you spending more time in devotion or reading or worship? Or is this becoming a season of just vegging on other stuff? Um, we got to consider how we use these times of kind of relaxed times. The walls are built, and in a sense, there's victory, but I want to point out something I think is great that Nehemiah does as a leader. He doesn't take his foot off the gas. Yes, the walls are built. Yep, but there's still work to be done. Yes, we had victory. Yes, we completed that portion, but we're not done yet. And wherever you are in terms of what you're doing for God and what God's called you to do, I think it's important until we get to heaven that we keep the mindset we're not done yet. God's not done with me yet, that there's more to be accomplished, there's more to do, that we would, could, we would keep our foot on the gas as well. So verse 1, it said that the doors were hung, and he said the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had all been appointed. And so I want to point something out to you guys that seems that it's important to God enough for it to be mentioned throughout Scripture these three roles, the gatekeepers were those that were guarding the gates, those that were watching out, because even though the walls are built, they still have enemies. They still have people that are not happy that the walls have been up. And so they got gatekeepers. There are men there that are watching the gate day and night, um, watching for attack, watching for adversaries to, to th that they might continue to have safety. And God wanted there to be protection. So they didn't just build the walls and go in and go live. They said, no, nah, now we got to protect uh, from the front. So there were gatekeepers that were assigned. Everybody was given their assignments. Then it says the singers. And you might think, what are singers doing here? What is that all about? Why do we need singers? Well, I want you to know that it's always been something important to God. For you guys that are unaware, God loves music. 
The first music ever made was made in heaven for God. Don't ever forget that. Music originated in heaven for God. The very first music ever made was made for God. God likes music. He likes instruments. He's like voices. He likes song. And it's always been a part of the worship of Jehovah. In the Old Testament, there's always been worshipers and singers always been a part. And the instruments all through the Psalms, we're, we're reminded of these things. The, the, the one, the guy that we know that the Bible says had a heart after God. He was a worshiper and a warrior, King David. And you go all the way to the New Testament, you get into Revelation where we're studying on Sundays. And when you get a glimpse into heaven, what do you get? Worship, praise, song, going forth nonstop. There are angels in heaven that are singing all day, every day. You know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Who, you know, their, their worship is constantly going on. God loves music. He loves worship. And so here he says, look, I got gatekeepers. I got singers. I want worship to be happening. I want praise to be going on. I want my people to be led in the praises of me. That's what they're there for. These ain't just regular singers. These people are leading in the praises of God. And they're part of what God puts right away. They're gatekeepers, the guard, they're singers to lead the praises. Then they're the Levites. The Levites were those that served in the temple because now that the walls are built, what they're going to get back to is proper worship. For all this time, they've been you know, exiled in other lands. They haven't had their own homeland. They haven't had a place to rightly worship the Lord where now that they're, they're home and they're in their own area, they're going to be taking care of that and there's going to be worship. And so the Levites served the, the, the practical needs of the temple uh, and they were an important role there. And so these, these three groups had all been appointed their task. I think of it like in the church today, there's something for everybody to do. We got worship leaders and those that can sing and play, and they're important. We have pastors that are teaching the word. That's important. We got security ministry, those that are guarding and making sure that the kids and the babies and the women are safe. That's important. And on and on, we have those that are watching the babies and ministering the word all over all the different roles and things are important. Here's what I would have you to consider tonight. As these guys were appointed their place, where's God appointed you? What is it, What has God appointed you to do in the kingdom? Yes, we're not in the Old Testament. Yes, we're not in the days of Nehemiah. We're in the New Testament. We're the church. But what's God appointed you to do and how are you doing with that? God's got something for everybody. And I, I, I always say this, but I just would remind us that God never called anybody to get saved and just go to church. We are the church. We're a living organism. And so that means, there's, that, that means we're all supposed to be a part. There's something for each person to do in participation. So now the verse two says, uh, Nehemiah said that I gave charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. And so something that Nehemiah does here is he begins to delegate. He gives charge of things over to other faithful men. Um, Hananiah was his brother. And if you guys remember in chapter one, verse two, it was Hananiah, his brother, who first came to him and, and told him about how things were going in Jerusalem. When, when Nehemiah's heart broke, it was his brother that brought him that information. And so Interesting that now his brother is given charge over Jerusalem. And then Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, it says that he was a, he, he was a faithful man 
and that he feared God more than many. And so Nehemiah does something really important. He hands things over to faithful men. If you're a note taker, uh, I would encourage you to write down 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, because this is something that Paul told young Timothy. He said, Paul, Paul told Timothy, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, teach, uh, I'm sorry, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, it was important that the work be handed over, but not just to anybody, faithful men that will be able to teach others also. And so there's two things we get from there. If you're a leader, um, you want to have an eye for faithful people. In the kingdom of God, the criteria is faithful. And that's a blessing because if the criteria were giftedness, then everybody couldn't participate. If it was the most gifted, then there's always somebody more gifted than you. If there was the most talented, there's always somebody more talented. But in the kingdom of God, God's, you know, the, the, the thing that God weighs things out in his kingdom is faithfulness. And here's a cool thing. Everybody can be faithful. I can be absolutely faithful with what God has given me. You can be absolutely faithful with what God has given you. And that's all God requires of you, faithfulness with what he's given you. And so Nehemiah finds faithful men to put in charge. And so if you're a leader, uh, obviously you want to have an eye for uh, faithful people that you know the right kind of people to give things to. And if you're a part of a work, you want to be a faithful person, that things can be handed over to you. And so this is how I determine faithful people. This is a, you know, my little barometer, right? A faithful person is the idea is they're trustworthy. You know, they're, they're, they're consistent, they're steady, they're trustworthy, faithful. Um, if, if I were to tell you that a, a car was faithful, it starts all the time and it always goes and it gets where you're going and it gets you back home safely. You can trust it. It's faithful. There are people that are like that. They're just faithful. If they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. If something comes up, they're going to let you know, but they're faithful people. It's a character. It's a characteristic. It's something that we all want. It's a godly characteristic that we would be faithful with whatever God has put into our hands to do. And so Nehemiah found faithful men. Interesting, this man Hananiah says he was a faithful man and he feared God more than many. And how would you determine that a man feared God more than many? Admit that this man feared God. There was a reverence for the Lord. The fear of God, um, it, it will keep you from doing things that would quench or grieve the heart of God and someone, whatever Nehemiah saw in this man, Hananiah, he said, no, he fears God more than most men. He, he's living a life that's more separated than most men. There are things that he just won't do that other people may, may do. Uh, he fears God more than most people. And that, that was the judgment that was made on his life by Nehemiah. And so this man was given uh, an opportunity to serve in this way. And so, uh, again, for all of us here, are you faithful do you fear God? Uh, these seem to be characteristics that, that, that cause men to be useful, more useful to God than had they not been. Now, moving on, verse 3, it says, And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand, <coughs> excuse me, and while they stand guard, let them shut the bar, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. And so 
Nehemiah is saying, look, we're, we've built the walls. Things are up. I got guards on the wall. But these, these gates ain't staying open all day. First of all, he says, don't even open them until the sun is hot. I don't want people sneaking in here at night. I don't want people coming in in the cool of the day. At the hot point, when the sun is hot, open the gates then. And then once people get in or whatever the business is done, shut the gates back up. Um, you get the sense here that there's still high tension. There's still a, a need for, for guarding and keeping the enemy out because Nehemiah knew that there were lots of enemies, lots of adversaries, lots of people that were unhappy that he had completed the work and built the walls. And so he's on guard. And so I want to challenge you in this because in our lives, there are areas where we need to be on guard. Uh, there are areas in our walk with the Lord where we need to stay on guard, where we don't want to relax. You know, when I when I first gave my life to the Lord, there were there was all these things that God had snatched me out of. And so there was alcoholism and sexual sin and slanging a little weed and, you know, doing all these different things. And as God pulled me out there, part of me keeping the guard up, you know, at one point it was, you know, I couldn't hang out with the old friends because that was a trap for me. There was, I was weak. I couldn't go hang out because I was going to be drinking and falling and messing up. Alcohol had to come off the menu for me because uh, I never drank, you know, I, I know, so I know some people drink, you know, for a taste. I never drank for a taste. I drank I always my, my introduction to alcohol was getting drunk. And every time I ever drunk alcohol, it was to get drunk. And if I didn't get drunk, I was disappointed in that alcohol. So for me, when I got saved, God said, leave that alone. That's off the menu for you all together. That's keeping my guard up. Um, they're just keeping myself safe from things. Um, I, I had a couple of things after I first got saved where I got into it with people. And and I was learning about myself, one that I was prideful. Um, two, that my mouth would get me into trouble. And so, um, you know, something that the Lord taught me was to be quiet, you know, to, to shut my mouth, um, in particular, arguing with men. So for those that know me, you know that I typically I will not have a verbal altercation with a man. Uh, if I can yell at you, I probably am in the flesh and could also punch you. And so for me, I keep my mouth shut. That's a guard. That's me keeping my guard up because I got lots of weaknesses. Nehemiah said we got to keep the guard up because we got enemies coming and we want to be careful. Um, anybody that's ever been to my house, I have big dogs. Uh, I've always had big dogs. At my old house, we had a German shepherd that would, he would jump on top of the fence whenever people came by and poke his head over the fence and scare people that were going by. I like that. I wanted people to know that there was a big dog in my yard so that nobody would break in. Nobody would jump my fence uh, in my house. Now we got big dogs and when everybody comes up to my driveway. They pounce the gate and they bang the gate and they let people know that there's a big raging animal back here. You don't want none. And so um, they're guarding the gate um, in this sense here. Nehemiah has men that are watching. They're on guard because um, there are many adversaries. And it, 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 if, if they come and see. The wall's not vacant. There are guards here. It's a deterrent. It's something that will cause them to rethink it. They're, it's not going to be an easy play. They have people set up, ready to go to battle, and it's a constant thing. 24-7, there were men guarding the gate. Guarding is important um, for us because uh, while we've had some victories, we got to keep our guard up. And again, I would, I would encourage you guys, maybe you've had victory in your walk with the Lord, and God's brought you out of this and brought you out, brought you out of that. You want to keep your guard up. You don't want to let your guard down. You don't want to you don't want to let your guard down and fall prey to something that 
God delivered you from or fall in an area where you had previously had some victory, keep your guard up uh, that you wouldn't fall victim to some old device, some old issue, maybe even an old person. And so moving on, look at verses four, four and five. It says, now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. And so if you guys remember when they came back into the land, everybody didn't come. There was a small percentage of the Jews that when they were able to come back home, there was only a small percentage that were willing to come. And it was sad. And so now they're back into their, their homeland. And it says the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few. And so there was, there was room for many more to come home. It says, and their houses were not rebuilt. And so verse five says, then my God put it into my heart to gather, uh, to gather together the nobles, the rulers and the peoples that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. Let me stop there. So as Nehemiah is realizing that, wow, there's all this area, he says, well, let's first get a register. Let's figure out who came home. Who participated in the work? We're going to start there. And he does a registry. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, verses 7 through 60 are a very elaborate genealogy of, and God is listing out every family's household that participated in the work. How many of them participated from this guy's house? How many participated from this guy's family? And so I'm not going to read through all those names and butcher all those names for you guys, but I want to make this point and we'll, we'll, we'll make it in, in a few different ways. One, God saw enough. God saw fit to remember them, to list what they had done. And he doesn't just list them here in the book of Nehemiah. This exact same genealogy and listing is also in Ezra chapter two. So twice God remembers them. God records what they did and he broadcasts it for everybody. God put that in his living word for everybody to know. If you guys remember earlier, there was one group of people that didn't put their hand to the work and God wrote that down. That was the nobles. For you guys to remember that they didn't, everybody else was team working and the nobles wouldn't get busy. They wouldn't put their hand to the work. And so they're listed for eternity in the word of God as those who didn't put their hands to the work. However, this group here is listed forever as those that put their hands to do God's work. And so, again, I titled the chapter, I'll Remember That. And it's a reminder to me and to you that God remembers what we do in his name. God remembers the work that we do on his behalf. If nobody else records it and remembers it and broadcasts it, God says, I saw it. Everything that you've done in my name, for my glory, for my purpose, I saw it. I remember it. I record it. And we know in New Testament, God's going to reward it. Uh, there's, there's a day coming where we'll sit at something called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where God will take our works and they'll be judged. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be judged. They'll, they'll, they'll be tested by fire. And those things that were done in faith. And obedience will be rewarded. There'll be things that, you know, for y'all that are doing good things for the wrong reason, God said that stuff will be wood, hay, wood, hay and stubble. It'll burn up. So for y'all that are listening and say, man, I, I, you know, everybody's probably guilty of this, doing a good thing with a bad motive. Maybe you did a nice thing. Maybe some of you guys 
did a nice charitable thing so that that girl would see and be like, oh, he's so nice or whatever. You know, God, God would look at that. That'll be wood hand stubble. You ain't getting no reward for that. But the things that we genuinely do for the glory of God, they're rewardable in, in, in the future. And so God does remember all the things that we do. The book of Nehemiah lays out an interesting time period in the history of Israel. Although they had been exiled, a group of Israelites were called to go back to Jerusalem and build the city wall. Nehemiah was a strong leader during this time and his character shined brightly despite some hardship and challenges along the way. Are you facing trying circumstances right now? We would like to know how we can be praying for you during this time. Please feel free to give us a call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. If you need some direction and encouragement through the Word, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide if you're not sure where to begin with Scripture. Look on our website, CalvaryEnglewood.org. We're so glad you tuned in today to A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill will continue his teaching through Nehemiah next time you join us. But in the meantime, you can access more of these messages at CalvaryInglewood.org and on our Calvary Chapel Inglewood app. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you preferably consider giving some financial support? All gifts are welcome and appreciated, no matter the size. They help us continue to reach more and more people with the good news of the gospel message. You can find more at CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We appreciate your support. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.